0: A little bit of a backstory here. Though Ephesians appears to be a letter from the uh, Apostle Paul to the church of Ephesus, scholars now believe that it was actually a general statement of faith emerging from a community in the tradition of Paul several decades after his death. The earliest records of the text do not actually contain the word Ephesians, I'm sorry, Ephesus at the beginning of the chapter one. So the audience can be understood as to the saints who are also faithful in Christ Jesus. In this text the writer is writing to those that are possibly new to the faith to tell them how to live as children of God. I chose to add part part of the 14th verse which actually is not in the lectionary today. It seems to come from a hymn in their community when it says sleeper awake rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. In this verse, the author is telling the folks to wake up and arise from the death and to sin and be alive in Christ. We're also told to stay alert and stay awake because we see Christ in, every day in, and we see Christ in our lives every day and in the faces of our neighbors. The verse, the, this verse tells me that we need to stay on our toes because God may be sending someone or something in our lives for a purpose. We should live... I'm sorry... Let's try that one again. Okay. The verse says to me that we need to stay on our toes because God may be sending someone or something into our lives for a purpose so we should live a life that is acceptable to the gift of life that God has given to us and be open to God's surprises. And you know there are many. In verses 15 to 20, the author of Ephesians writes to instruct the folks how they should live, what they are to avoid, that is not pleasing to God. And there are three key points that I take from the scriptures today. The first point from the scripture is about wisdom. The scripture tells us to be wise. Now that's a definition of easier said than done. It seems to me, oh my God, there's a storm coming. <laughs> which, means, which means you didn't silence your phones because we all heard that. I'm sorry, I didn't need to get off, off topic here. Anyway, it seems to me that we have to go through a lot of foolishness to get to wisdom. But to live life fully, pleasing to our Creator and living in love, we need to have wisdom in decisions we make and how we conduct ourselves. For me, it's learning how to think things through instead of acting on a knee-jerk reaction. An example of an unwise decision in my life was dropping out of seminary without thinking it through. I left seminary because I felt that I was not being counted for who I was, and yet the school took my tuition money, and that was it. So I left. Instead of sticking around and pleading my case, I let anger get the better of me, and I walked away from school. At the time, it seemed like a wise decision but in retrospect, it was a knee-jerk reaction and not the best way to handle it. Though at the same time, maybe it, I needed the extra years to gain the wisdom necessary to finish my ser- seminary education 20 years later. The decisions that we make have consequences. How many of us did things that our parents told us not to do, and they warned us not to do something, and we went ahead and did it anyway? I think a simple way, the best example is the little kid who you told not to touch the stove, you know, your parents say you don't touch the stove because it's hot, and what do you do? You go touch the stove because it's hot, and you burn yourself. This little kid's curiosity got hurt because someone told him not to do something and had to suffer the consequences of getting burnt. For me, sometimes to get me to do something is tell me not to do something. I'll do it. Anyway, dare me not to do something, I will definitely do it. All right, so how many of us growing up were challenged by our peers to do something that could possibly be dangerous because we, d- we were dared to do it and we wanted to fit in. Another example of this is complaining. Sometimes when we are in company of people who complain, it becomes contagious. If you interact with someone who complains every day, it's really hard not to complain every day as well. The scripture says we have to be careful in how we live our lives. So we need to be intentional in our actions. Be wise in making decisions because there are consequences for decisions we make. The second point that I take from the scripture today is about grace. The writer reminds the church that the cost of Christ's grace, sorry, that the cost of Christ's sacrifice so that we can be free. When preacher says it in this manner, God took all our sins, shortcomings, faults, and mistakes and dumped them in an ocean far away and then put up a sign that said no fishing. However, I know last week the kids told us not to throw nothing in the ocean, right? But I like this metaphor all the same. God came into the world for us so that we could, we could live, and it's our job to extend that love and grace to others. When I think about my life and, my, and grace in my life, I think about all the second chances I've been given over the years and all the messes I've made. And when I think about grace, I think about this church, because when I walked in those doors 20 years ago, nobody cared, nobody said anything, nobody questioned me why I was here. I came in here, I was a hot mess, but y'all said, have a seat, it's all good, and I am very grateful for that. And if you feel like a mess today, don't worry, because you are not alone. We are all feeling that way sometimes. And the third point I I take from the scripture is about community. The writer suggests that instead of being drunk with wine or worldly things, we should be drunk with the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we should sing hymns of praise and, a community, and as a community of believers, give thanks to God for God's goodness. Nothing about this journey is supposed to be done alone or in isolation, yet it seems important to find quiet times of solitude where we pull away to pray and recharge, but that's not leaving community. Isolation is when we let ourselves be out of relationship with the community where we think we can do it all on our own. So what does that look what does that look like and how does this apply to us in this world today? In this time in which we are in this time in which we are living, where we are inundated and bombarded from all sides by news twenty-four-seven, where it seems like hate is front and center because of the rhetoric that has been spewed out from our elected officials. The idea that it is okay to deny basic human rights such as access to decent healthcare, education, living wages, separating children from their parents because of their immigration status, where the value of a person is based on the color of their skin or the economic status, that is not okay. As believers, we cannot sit by and watch as hate and fear dictate our lives. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then I say that that requires us to take action, to stand with those who are being neglected, singled out by this government, and showing up and standing on the side of justice. The writer of Ephesians is telling us, as believers, we are to live in community, as children of God, to live in love, and to walk the walk. The writer is calling for the church to walk in love instead of walking in the shadows of sin. And we are encouraged to live by the fruit by the faith as we would try to follow Jesus' example of living in love and justice. We will also bear the fruits of the spirit that Paul wrote about in the book of Galatians, the fruits of the spirit that are described in the message translation as affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion, a conviction of basic holiness permeates things and people, loyal commitments, not needing to force our way into lives, able to marshal our energies wisely. We know them as love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. These fruits are in use and available to us when we walk in the spirit of God. So as we strive for these fruits in our families, our communities, in this church, in our lives, I leave you this morning with three points. One, wisdom, be intentional, and careful in how you live your life and the decisions you make. Number two, living grace, remembering the grace extended to us by God. And number three, community, being a child of God, requires us to live in community with one another and to support one another. Amen.
1: So this morning I'll be preaching on the topic A Radical Invitation to a Life of Intimacy. A Radical Invitation to a Life of Intimacy. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for your presence with us here and now. Our souls find rest in being known by you even as we continue to unravel the depths of who you are and who we are. We are grateful for those times when we feel you so near, those moments of known, deep intimacy. God, we thank you that you invite us into a life of daily, intimate communion with you and your people. Give us this day our daily bread. Amen. So in this passage, Jesus invites us to eat and drink, to eat his body and drink his blood, and in so doing, we will find life. This sounds like a grand promise following Jesus' perplexing request to merely eat and drink. So much so that even the people around him were arguing among themselves, asking, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Perhaps sarcastically, literally, or maybe they were genuinely confused. In their questioning, we see Jesus respond simply by reiterating what he just said to them. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. By responding in this way, it's as if Jesus is uncovering a much deeper questioning for them and for us. A question they were wrestling with and not fully able to bring to the surface. Perhaps they were also not ready to sit with the reality of the choices they would need to make if they connected with the profound question Jesus was asking them. Will you choose life? See, questions are interesting. Sometimes in our questioning, there's a truth we know that we're not ready to sit with. I can imagine myself being one of these people arguing and questioning sarcastically and defensively. As many of you know, I'm from South Africa and I remember several years ago being asked by people I met at a book club if I'd ever thought of going to seminary. Of course, I responded with shock, demanding where they would get such an idea from. Though, even in that moment of shock and questioning, there was a part of me that knew exactly why they were asking me that. Instead of sitting with the truth that they were revealing to me in that moment, I questioned it. I wasn't really ready to hear what they were saying to me. And more so, because of the decisions I would need to make in choosing to go to seminary. It was a hard decision to make, leaving the corporate world, feeling like I'm disappointing my parents, and defying societal pressures. See there are times in life when God will offer us an opportunity to choose life, even as it may mean the death of other parts of us. In choosing life, it might result in feeling like we're betraying those we love. The walk of faith at times comes with disappointing those who love us and so Choosing to act confused and asking more distracting questions of God to avoid God's calling may be easier and safer for that moment. But it does come with its own share of hardships and disappointment and frustrations. And so either way, it is hard. Um, Anne Ulanoff, a professor of psychology and religion, helps us from a psychological perspective to understand how our questioning can enable us to enter into a moment of intimacy with God. She reminds us that when we pray, each time we ask for help, sorry, we pray every time we ask for help, understanding or strength in or out of religion. She says that in prayer, we say who in fact we are, not who we should be or who we wish to be, but who we are. I believe that as Jesus asks us to commune with him and choose life, he's also asking us to connect with who we are. Communing with God is an extension of our prayers where we can lay ourselves bare before God and enter into that sweet spot of intimacy. It is in this act of communing, of eating and drinking, that allows us to move in a space of intimacy. It allows us to embody this moment of intimacy, ingesting God and ingesting the presence of God. My sister is a speech therapist, and she says that our ability to speak is based firstly on our ability to eat. She says that a newborn baby must be able to suck before they can be discharged from the hospital. Being able to suck and therefore being able to eat is the second most important thing after breathing that a baby needs to survive. The action of eating is essentially their life source. Additionally, a baby's ability to eat is completely reliant on another human being. They're completely vulnerable and dependent. Sucking and the complete reliance during the eating process is so symbolic of how in the act of communing, intimacy is embodied. We come bare before God, ready to be fed and nourished with the wellspring of life that begets life. So in God calling us to eat, he's also calling us to be in community. Maya Angelou reminds us that there are very few times we can be more intimate as to share food together. And so what makes it so hard for us to choose life and enter into this moment of intimacy that God is inviting us into? And I believe it's the relationship we have with our past, present, and future. In this moment of eating bread, in the moment of passing the peace, in the moments of our communing, Jesus is offering a radical invitation to a life of intimacy. Intimacy with our past, intimacy with our present, and intimacy with our future to enable us to be in an intimate relationship with God, ourselves, and others. An intimate relationship with our past is one that enables us to come bare before God with our heavy burdens and open wounds from the past that get in the way of us choosing life. Jesus, through his own suffering, meets us in our suffering just as we are when we break bread together, healing us and inviting us into intimacy with him. An intimate relationship with our future is one that enables us to connect with a vision of the end, evoking a radical imagining of what's possible. Sean Copeland, a Catholic womanist, describes this type of hope in the Eucharist or communion saying, Eucharistic solidarity teaches us to imagine, to hope for, and to create new possibilities. The solidarity enfolds us rather than dismisses others. We act in love rather than refuse others. We respond in self-sacrifice, committing ourselves to the long labor of creation, to the enfleshment of freedom. And here we can begin to imagine a world where children aren't forcefully separated from their families, but rather are loved and in loving communities. Where women aren't constantly the victims of sexual violence, but rather respected and dignified. Where men of color aren't constantly victims of crime, but rather seen in the fullness of their humanity. Where the LGBTQIA community, aren't disproportionately discriminated against and even killed, but rather well-loved and integrated in community. We have to imagine and believe that there is such a world. We have to imagine and believe that as we stand here, week after week, communing in community, that we are healing and that we are creating and that we are transforming the world in little and in big ways. In Jesus inviting us to a radical life of intimacy with the present, he's inviting us to choose life on a daily basis. A call to intimacy is an act of daily choosing life driven by our remembrance and healing of the past and our correct future imagining and hope. Intimacy with God is a perspective change that enables us to choose and live differently. We are invited by Jesus to eat his flesh and drink his blood, to ingest God as a way to choose life. By being in an intimate relationship with our past, with our present, and with our future, we are empowered to step into Jesus' invitation into a life of intimacy. It is here that the beautiful work of grace enables us to choose life moment to moment and day to day. May the grace of God be with you all as you drink deeply of the well of life. May you continue to know God ever so intimately. Give us this day our daily bread. Amen.